Thanks for visiting us here today on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Today's episode was recorded in its entirety at Canoe Copia. The 2019 event was held in Madison, Wisconsin, March 8th, 9th, and 10th. The podcast took it on the road and traveled to the event this year. So again, the entire episode today recorded at Canoe Copia. And support for today's episode comes from North Star Canoes, which is based in Princeton, Minnesota. I'm Peta Barrett. I am the owner and founder of Women's Wilderness Discovery in Ely, Minnesota. I outfit and guide trips year-round in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. And in the summer months, when I'm taking out uh, canoe groups, the only canoe that I have in my fleet is the North Star North Wind 17s and 18s. They are my go-to. I stock no other brand. And there's a really good reason for that. Number one, they're beautiful boats, but they are, they track well, they maneuver beautifully. And what I love the best is I always have the safety of my clients in mind. So if you are out and inevitably at some point you will get into some bad weather and we get some pretty high winds and that second part of the stability, uh, when you get into wind with a North Star canoe, they become even more stable. The design of it has a very rounded chine and it can take those wind and waves much easier. You can drop to your knees and paddle that canoe in a high wind and get, you know, get to your campsite. So I have never been in a situation in wind and waves in the Boundary Waters where I felt my group was unsafe. And that's what, I mean, I take out a lot of novice paddlers. And so um, whether you're a very skilled canoeist or you're a newbie, this is the best canoe on the water and it's made right here in Minnesota and the customer service is second to none. So I'm proud to support North Star Canoes and this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 15 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. We are recording live at the Canucopia 2019 Paddle Expo. The expo is winding down and we are taking it all in. Matthew, what an experience. The past three days here at Canucopia have been unbelievable. I think one of the best ways to describe how I'm feeling right now is completely full. Full of connections, full of experiences, and full of 
you know the overwhelming positivity of our paddle community yeah it's it's we've met so many people people that knew about the podcast uh, had been listening to it which has been maybe my favorite part of coming here is the the people that knew already about the podcast from all over the country and uh, also we've been sharing a lot of information introducing people to the podcast too yeah it's been really cool to see how receptive people are they hear about the Boundary Waters, they and they know what that is, and they hear about the podcast, and they know what podcasts are, and it's a, just the perfect fit. Talking about how you can stay connected to the Boundary Waters even when you're not there all year round. Uh, it's our, it's what you know. It's what fuels what we do and why we're here. Yeah, and so we do actually have a full episode put together uh, here from Canoe Copia. We've been recording audio, Matthew. You've been shooting a lot of video, taking photographs, which are all over the WTIP Facebook page, uh, social media, and so we've got a lot of uh, different mediums that we've you, you've called in live on the radio, we both have actually, and it's just been all kinds of different things happening as far as content, but we put together, today's episode is all actually recorded here from Canoe Copia. Yes, coming up in today's episode, we're going to hear many voices from Canoe Copia, but two especially uh, amazing connections we made, Aubrey Helmuth Miller. Uh, she's a young entrepreneur, soon-to-be mother, whose uh, entire way of living now was inspired by her time in the Boundary Waters. And we're going to hear her story. And we'll also hear from a really well-known paddler camper from Ontario. He's got a YouTube channel with over a million subscribers, Joe Robinette. Uh, was here as a speaker at Canoe Copia. And, Demonstrator uh, as well. I caught him in the pool doing some <laughs> <laughs> really fun demonstrations in his canoe. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of people were here and, and interested in meeting Joe, and he took some time out of his schedule to sit down talk with us on the podcast. So that's in the episode as well. Not to mention some of the music you're going to hear in today's episode is music that we found, recorded, or discovered right here at Canoe Copia. Absolutely. Well... We also been roaming around, as I said, all kinds of different media, Matthew. Let's just hear from uh, some of the people that we met before we get in, dive full on into the interviews. Let's just uh, hear some of our roving reporter at Canoe Copia. Let's do it. Can uh, you tell me why you guys came to Canoe Copia? Um, we because we heard it's the biggest canoe festival in in North America, I guess. That's yeah. a great reason. Are you, either of you paddlers? Both. Yeah. Awesome. So big question, have you heard of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness? Yes. I have very little experience. Went for a three-day trip many years ago and through kind of fate wound up living in Wisconsin again for work and just looking forward to exploring more. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, I'm Josh. Uh, I live in the Madison area in a little town called Cambridge. Uh, Boundary Waters, maybe 15 years, something, maybe more. What I love about it is that there's so much to love about it. (laughs) My name is Justin, and I went to the Boundary Waters. I had fun, and it got to around negative 36 degrees there. It's a good time. My name's Michelle. I'm with Voyager Wilderness Program. I've been paddling forever. I was raised in a canoe. Um, and it's part of who I am. Last year, we brought my mom, who's turning 84 this year, into the north side of Quetico Park uh, to experience uh, Quetico paddling 
and really enjoying uh, the pictographs. She wanted to see the pictographs one more time and that's something that's totally inspiring to us. So uh, along on the journey was my mother, who's, as I said, 84, myself, who I'm in my 50s, and my daughter, who's in her late 20s. And we had a magical moment of three generations being able to paddle, experience Quetico, and really what those connections of paddling is all about, rather than just using the canoe as a vehicle. It's a way of life, it's a way of connecting on many, many different levels, and that's why we do it. Well, we're taking a break from Canucopia for just a few minutes, and uh, we're going to kick back now. And uh, joining us here on the podcast for this special episode, uh, Joe Robinette. And, of course, he's of YouTube fame, uh, and he's just a, a really nice guy that lives in Ontario. Actually, right on Lake Superior, Joe, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And uh, Sault Ste. Marie on the Ontario side. Joe, a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Man. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about, uh, of course, we've got the Boundary Waters podcast, right? We do BWCA, Quetico, and it sounds like you know, you're going to make your maiden voyage to Quetico this summer 2019. Uh, how'd that come about, and, and what's your expectations for the Boundary Waters area? Well, I uh, tripped in one of the big three, one of the big three being Quetico, Boundary Waters, and Woodland Caribou. Mm -hmm. So last year and the, and the year prior, I've gone to Woodland Caribou, did a fly-in trip, really loved it. Uh, farthest north I'd been, and, and I know that Quetico uh, seems to be similar, right? A um, little bit more fish species and a little bit closer to my home, which is awesome. I can drive there in about nine hours, mm -hmm. and that's not really too bad because I used to do long-distance drives for tripping all the time. Um, a lot of times I trip in Algonquin Park, if you guys know where that is, mm -hmm. and this is going to be, uh, Quetico is going to be more northern, uh, less people feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So lots of fish, lots of awesome campsites, and more boreal. So Joe, so on a typical trip, let's say for your Quetico trip, uh, wherever you head out, how much uh, prep do you do? I mean, your videos, man, are obviously followed by a lot of people, million plus subscribers and on your YouTube channel. How much prep do you put into here's what I want this video to be or is it more like we're gonna go out there and what happens happens yeah kind of both I have like a, a rough idea in my head like a game plan of what I want to accomplish when I'm out and things change day to day obviously situations uh, weather all that stuff but I really just run and gun it's really just me being out there and bringing the viewers along my whole experience so if i get up and i'm not feeling good that day i'm going to talk about that i'm going to lay around for a little bit i'm going to show that if i get up and i slay a bunch of walleye right off the dock or off the off the rocks in front of me i'm going to show that too mm -hmm. and then as the day progresses just whatever i'm doing i really like to show a little bit of that at least and i know that i need to build stories through each little scene so i try to really have a beginning middle and end for every small scene in the in the hour plus long video um, but to answer your question my main amount of planning is trip planning, gear planning, food planning. The filming is just really second nature at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, cool. And so um, I ask that because you're so honest in your videos. And, and I think that's one thing that, you know, my wife Maggie and I watch a lot of your videos, man. <laughs> you know, it's winter in northern Minnesota. We're passing time, but they're, they're great. You of know, course. like we really feel like we know you, even though this is the first weekend that I ever met you. Nice. Is here at Canucopia. And 
I want to know a little bit more about you. I mean, people like uh, my wife and I who follow your videos, we we know you know you're from Windsor. You got uh, you you live in Sault Ste. Marie, and you're an outdoorsman, obviously. But who are you, man? Like, <laughs> like you know, how old are you, and and how did you come about starting this YouTube channel, right. and what's it done for your life? Oh man, yeah. Well, I'm 34 years old. Um, <laughs> don't look a day over 20. <laughs> but uh, I started this about 11 years ago. And really, I, I had a, an interest in the in the wilderness and the woods and going out and things like that. But I never had anybody to show me. I never had a dad growing up. I never had a male role model in my life. My mom wasn't into that type of thing. So, And living in a big city right next to Detroit is not the most uh, rural spot. So, yeah, just always been interested in it. I used to watch like Grizzly Adams growing up and things like that. Just get my fix that way. Um, but... I don't know, man, 15 years ago or something, I started trying to just go a little bit around here and there. And then, um, yeah, I moved up to Sault Ste. Marie to go to school for that stuff, learned a bunch of stuff, and I figured, man, I want to be around people who are into this. When I moved back away from college, I was in college in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, I want to be around people who are into this, and I, and I didn't have anyone because it was back down south. So I, I joined up on a forum online called Bushcraft USA. And back then, I was elated to find people with similar interests, people who even understood what the word bushcraft meant, you know what I mean? Because it was just, it was so vague back mm -hmm. then. Nobody, nobody was into it. Mm -hmm. It's a different story now. Um, but yeah, so excited to, to be online talking to these people. And then through that, there became challenges and, and, and contests and things that they, you want, I wanted to enter on the forum and the only way to enter was either through pictures or through video and you had to do little skill challenges make a fire a camp out whatever mm -hmm. the case may be people used to cheat for whatever the reason was and show pictures and you could just lie but i always thought that you can't lie through video you know what i mean it really shows so i would always videotape my stuff and it was really rudimentary like a little flip phone uh i didn't know how to edit so it was all like in one take i would like prop my phone up on like uh on a log no tripod you know what i mean yeah. um but yeah, so I started doing that and I got a bunch of feedback. And to, to put the videos onto the forum, I had to use YouTube as a platform. So then I would go to the forum from there and I started to get feedback on the forum and loved it. I loved it, like the attention, the attaboys from all these grown American men. I'm this small little Canadian boy, you know, <laughs> trying to fit in. Like really, that's how I felt. Sure. And uh, yeah, man, it went really well. And, and then after that, I started getting like, attention on YouTube a little bit and I, I liked the way it felt it was like cool man like so I kept it up I, I worked on my craft a little bit better uh, my filming everything being outside um, got better cameras all that stuff and then maybe it took me seven years to hit a hundred thousand subscribers I was doing this stuff back in the day when there was only a few people online doing it and uh, hundred thousand subscribers in seven years and then a year after that I was at five hundred thousand yep. so it snowballed yep. and then not even a year after that I hit the million mm -hmm. which was really really recently um, so it's changed everything. It's changed my life, my, my family, my extended family's lives, everything like that. My, my wife was able to quit her job. We were able to move out of the city that I lived in almost my whole life in the, in the south with no, no, no wilderness, no anywhere to go. I was going in people's farm fields and going into their bush there and like lucky when I could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would travel up here before we moved. I would travel once or twice a week, eight hours one way, come home, edit the video and go again. You know what I mean? Cause there was nothing around. Mm -hmm. Finally got out of the city. We're up in a nice spot outside of Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Ontario, up north now. I have a lake in my backyard. I can go hiking within five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, I have property. My kid goes to an awesome school now. It's like uh, 
it's a really, really different life, and it's a really good life. Okay, and when you say you were in school learning yeah. about, you know, were you learning like outdoor recreation management or, or video media studies, or what were you into? What were you trying to learn? Yeah, so the, the video thing was n- not even a thought at that point. Like, um, I have no formal training on video at all. I'm sure it shows in some of my, my videos, but I went to school for a park operations program. It was like a... Ne- um, natural resources type program. And I started in, in uh, field naturalist and switched over to park operations. We learned things like animal tracking. We learned survival skills. We learned tree identification, which to this day has been my favorite thing that I ever learned in school. And I, and I kept it. I kept the knowledge, which is great. Learn, uh, I, I could ID trees by twigs, by buds, by bark, by leaves. Um, it's really fun, actually. I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. We learned navigation, all sorts of important skills for the outdoors. Okay, wow. And so that was your, your passion was, and this this comes through in your videos, is that you seem like, uh, I don't want to put you in a box or anything, Joe, but you know maybe like an environmentalist, you seem like somebody who's, who's passionate about the natural world. It, it, has that played in? I mean, would you consider yourself like an advocate for, for wilderness? Um, yeah, I like to I like to keep places clean. I like to, I, like I've made videos before when I've been tripping in Algonquin Park and like come across a, a, an old used campsite and the fire pit's full of garbage. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I had to say something about this. Like it, it's not cool. You know what I mean? So you're ruining wild places. One, you, you're 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 potentially endangering the next campers there because bears can get habituated now with the smell and all that stuff. I would say. I love the outdoors, and I'm going to do everything I can to to keep people uh, into it and to get the new generation into it as well. That's my main goal. And and seeing the amount of young people here at this show coming up and saying hi and, and, and asking me about legitimate questions about camping really is a good thing. Yeah, okay. And so let's go back then a little bit to you're starting this channel. You know, you're, you're building a, a following here, and you're just probably having some fun doing it. When did you realize that this was going to be – something more that you this could be a career this could be you know i can quit my job you know you joe can quit your job and your wife can like when did that evolve and how did you kind of stay away from like the whole ego side of that and keep it genuine keep the page in intact with what it is you know uh, i think the the natural course of the of the growth of my channel kept me grounded and kept my head from not getting too big I started when you couldn't monetize. There was no option of getting paid. I was doing this for the pure enjoyment of it, for the fun of it, and I loved it. And it took me seven years, like I said, to get 100,000 subscribers. I think if I was in it for money, I think I would have quit. I I wouldn't have had the patience to wait. It's it's a full-time job. And for a while there, I was working two jobs. Mm. I was doing my full-time nine to five, and I was coming and making videos because I, I... so and then this leads to your first part of your question. Mm-hmm. I was still working. Doing what? what, what I, I worked in Windsor at the University of Windsor. I was a field technician, so I would go out and gillnet fish, and yeah. we would come back and then do extractions on them for per, uh, PCBs, mercury toxins, stuff like that. Okay. It was actually a really good gig. Uh, but I was working two jobs, doing that, and then coming home and, and doing my YouTube thing. Um, and after I started to monetize, I really started to see the money come in. And then my job got, um, there wasn't a need for me anymore. I got laid off. So it was like either go on unemployment and look for another job or just put full effort and time into this YouTube thing and make a run of it. And at that point I was making a decent amount of money each month where it took over 
it took over the, the my wages from the job that I was working at the university. Mm-hmm. Not much more at all, but it was that, and it was. I, w- I didn't feel safe because I have a family to support. I have a do- I had at that point only one daughter. I have two now. My wife, myself, my dog at the time. I'm never going to jeopardize them. You know what I mean? So I-, I didn't know what to do. But something inside me told me just go for it. And I really just – I said screw the unemployment. I went gung-ho on, on the whole uh, YouTube thing. And it really helped. It really started to boost and go. And I got – just putting more videos out, I got more confident, people were seeing them more, things started to blow up even more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until we were solid, 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 solid good that, that I quit, that I, that, that I told her she could quit, that I wasn't worried about the job anymore. Um, yeah, it, it was a big leap of faith at the time. And looking back on it, obviously I'm super happy I did it, but it was a bit worrisome. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool, man. And so, what is this? Uh, so, we started this podcast at the radio station where I work, WTIP and mm. Grand Marais. And we started this podcast because we thought people wanted to hear about the woods. You know, Matthew and I both go paddling, we go winter camping, we go fishing all the time. That's nice. why we moved to where we did. And uh, so, we thought maybe other people wanted to hear about the Boundary Waters too. That's why we started this podcast. And it's starting you know we're we're kind of where you were maybe seven years ago with the whole thing like well people are people are listening to this in Chicago and we're finding that here at the canoe event like people seem to be interested in the outdoors yeah. I mean at the at the end of the day I mean of course Joe you have a, a great presence and personality and you let people into your lives but it seems to be no matter what who you know people are interested in the outdoors is that the the root of of your success and, and why people are listening to our podcast is because people like getting outdoors. Is that is it as simple as that? It, well, it's part of it, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think the personality of the people is a huge thing, too. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, sitting here talking to you, I, I like the way that you're presenting yourself, you know what I mean? And, and Matt, too, I, I mm-hmm. seem like great guys. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, I think it's really about the person more than anything. Like, obviously, you have to have a subject. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a broad thing that you cover, and like that's your bread and butter, that's your main gig, like Bushcraft is to me. But there's been so many times where I've just been put put out videos that had nothing to do with bushcraft. My personal videos do way better than any of my canoe or than my bushcraft trip videos. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I'm talking about my family or, or doing stuff around the house and stuff like that, those videos do really well. People are really interested and and have invested interest in the person, especially when you let them into your life a little bit more, especially when you're very open and organic with them. But definitely, love for the outdoors is a huge thing, and it's growing again. Uh, like it did in the 70s. So let's talk, you know, we're here at Canoe Copia and this is a, a paddling expo, outdoor gear expo. Uh, what you, what about paddling? You know, you've, you've been in canoes, you've been in all kinds of different things. You go winter camping, of course, too, but uh, what when it comes to paddling, uh, you like solo tripping, uh, tandem. You know what do you? What is it about canoeing that you're into? Yeah, I think my favorite is going solo in a in a solo boat. I've got a pack boat, and uh, they're really light, really nimble, easy to paddle. Um, the thing is, and I don't get me wrong, I like going. Tan- I like going with a partner as well. I, I still would prefer to be in my own pack boat and them have have their own. And it's nice now that my my tripping buddies have their own too, which is great. But um, it's a different story. It's a different feel. Like I feel like when when I need a reset, when I need to get in touch with myself, when I've been too stressed out, whatever, <clears throat> I'm gonna go by myself. And I wanna spend like four days by myself at least, four nights. Um, it's, I think it's Kevin Callum, I heard say it the first time, it was like, uh, you don't unwind until like the second or third day. You can't really get in tune with the flow of things there right off the hop. And I agree completely. I've been on 
overnighters or two two night camping trips, even canoe trips, where it's just like, okay, I'm just starting to get into my groove, and now it's time to go. Those first couple days, a lot of the times you feel like, ah, what am I even doing this for? Uh, get out of here, I'm not comfortable. But after that, you just really learn to like go with the flow of the stuff. Um, I really like solo tripping, and I also like going with friends. And it has a different feel. It's like a a camaraderie type thing mm-hmm. uh, when I go with friends, and it's a little bit more safe. You know what I mean? You have uh, someone else there. You don't just relying on your GPS or your, or your spot system. What about uh, fishing? Where you know you you incorporated into your videos either ice fishing or, or casting, spin fishing, and, and things like that. But it doesn't seem like that's your straight out. You're not a fishing show by any means. Just like our podcast, you know, I'm Joe. I'm personally a big angler. I okay. love to fish lake trout in the Boundary Waters and walleye and so forth. But we've tried to keep the podcast not a a fishing podcast. Right. You know, um, but it does tend to be. I mean, it seems like you enjoy fishing. It's a huge part of it, man. It's a huge part of it. I love fishing. I'm not great, (laughs) not by any means at it, but I'm getting better. I I really like the the idea of being able to get up in the morning or before bed, you know, just go and cast the line in or, excuse me, halfway through the day, you come up to a nice set of rapids, grab yourself a couple trout and just have a little shore lunch on on the end of a portage or something. It's really fun. You know what I mean? And uh, being able to like stick it on a stick over the top of the fire, that's probably the epitome of uh, (laughs) fun to me. Yeah, yeah, right on there. And so um, a couple of just last things then would be, um, do you see, are you following where people are watching are you Canada US or, mm. or what's your your reach of yeah, where people are interested definitely in? it's huge US and then uh, UK and then Canada and then I got these all these strange ones which are like number like 4 or 5 and 6 it'd be like Australia um, Germany places like that but then also like Taiwan like uh, mm-hmm. like really like far out places that I would never have thought in a million years would have any interest in what I do or me yeah. uh, all over the world all mm-hmm. over the world actually a huge huge Australian uh, following and then the demographic is probably well it is is our age it's like it's like 30 it's like 28 to 35 mm-hmm. is my biggest one and then the next one down is just a touch smaller uh, younger sorry yeah yeah cool that's awesome and, and do you find the the personal I mean based on some of the comments that I see on your YouTube page and Instagram and so forth that you know, people seem to really like you, know, like you and, and <laughs> hard to believe it, and, 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 and want you know feel like uh, like my wife and I do that we you know we know you in a sense. Yeah, um, has that been cool for you to to feel that people and you know are getting to know you through your channel? Yeah, definitely, man. That's what uh, that's what I strive for. I really I'm out there by myself. I used to be with Scout all my dog Scout all the time, and it's like. I do go with friends, but I'm 90% out there by myself. And I talk to that camera like I'm talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why. It's like I, I, I say how I'm feeling. I smile when I'm happy. I, I, I'm, I tell you when I'm upset. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like I feel like I'm talking to people that I know when I'm talking to the camera. Yeah, It is a good feeling. And even here today, man, I, I heard that. I don't know how many hands I shook today, honestly. And like so many people are saying the same thing to me. It feels like I already know you, man. It's like, that's great. Then I'm doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And is it to the point of people are wanting your autograph? Oh, I signed, I gave away probably $300 worth of patches today and signed every single one of them. Everybody Mm -hmm. wanted them signed. Mm -hmm. I signed some guy's pack boat. He bought a brand new, like $4,000 pack boat. Wanted me to sign the side of it. I'm like, are you sure, man? But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And I like it. It's fun. Everybody's been super, super fun friendly yeah yeah cool man and and so then uh, just lastly joe uh, if i can get a little personal with you here yeah. i know you know here we are it's uh it's 
early March, mid-March here at Canoe Copia 2019, and um, within the past week here, uh, you had to, you mentioned your dog Scout, and uh, Scout was ill for those who follow the channel, was and it was hurting a little bit there in late 2018 into 2019. It sounds like those extra two months have been a blessing for you, yeah. you in a in a sense, and and uh, but you Scout uh, got put down here this week, and and uh, you know I'm I'm just uh, I feel for you, Joe. My wife and I watched that video where you said you know Scout was put down and. and that was an emotional video, you know, for a lot of people, certainly. And uh, do you see that that's going to, you know, change anything for you and what you do in the, pay, in the in, you know, in the YouTube phase that you have and what just what you've put into it? Because Scout was part of it. Oh, man. Scout was a huge part of it. I wouldn't be here right now without him. He's my logo. He was my um, motivation for being outside a lot. And every, he, 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 everybody loved him. He wouldn't. I wouldn't be where I am without him. He was a reason for people to watch even when I got annoying. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, and I get it. Um, no, I really hope that it doesn't change anything and it shouldn't. But uh, I will I will miss that dog forever and he will be he will be forever immortalized in my videos which is which is a lot more than I can, than, than people can say normally. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? He's going to be around and and the outcry from the whole world the whole world you know what I mean? I got, I got messages and emails and everything from the whole world. Uh, he's a great dog. And I'll be getting another one. I don't know when, but uh, it'll come up soon. And, and, and so, uh, Joe, Joe, just then to, to come back to that and where we are here now, is has this been uh, healthy for you and, and good in a sense to, to be able to you know get out of town for a few days and, and come to this event here in Madison, Wisconsin and, and see the, the love for you and the, and, and the YouTube page and, the, and, and for Scout for yeah. that matter. Uh, has this been, been nice for you? Because we're talking just in the past week, this is all a big, huge thing in your life has happened. Has it been good to come to Canucopia for that? Yeah, it has, man. I had Scout for 11 and a half years. So we found out he had lymphoma uh, right right before Christmas, and they gave him two weeks. And uh, we changed everything. His diet uh, it went all holistic, natural, raw food and stuff. And we were able to get another three months out of him, which I was so happy for. It was a good three months. He wasn't sick. I, uh, very blessed to have that. So I feel like if I didn't have that three months of knowledge of that happening, um, and this just had, I had to put him down like two days before I came here, I probably wouldn't have came. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I had that all of that three months to kind of like take him on his last walks, really appreciate him, tell him I loved him a bunch. And, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been good to come here. You know what I mean? I, every single person I've talked to, maybe 99% of the people I've talked to have told me some kind of story about Scout, which is crazy because he's my dog you guys people are watching on tv and he's affected them so much that they literally have stories about him which is crazy <laughs> so yeah it's been really good man it's been really uh really awesome to to see to see the love for him and to uh and to get away like you said too like i i was in that house just getting reminded of him left and right from things in, in the in the house his old bed everything like that and uh well i will always miss him and and um it's been very healing being here and, and seeing Man, I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people had had a lot a lot to say. So it was it was really good. Yeah, great. Well, we look forward to uh, following your stories through YouTube, through social media. Uh, hopefully, for many many years to come. We Thanks, hope, man. Joe, and uh, we're enjoying them. And, and it'd be great sometime if you can get to the states, or we'll meet you in Quetico uh, to to team up, hang out, and and do some fishing and yeah. do some camping. And that'd be a pleasure for us on the podcast. I'd be into it. Let's go to Quetico for sure. Yeah. Do it sometime this year. Yeah, great, man. Well, we've been talking here on the podcast today at Canoe Copia with Joe Robinette and uh, Joe. Thank thank you so much, man. Anytime, buddy.
look around you, son. You've got too many boats. I've got too many irons and too many fires. Too many projects. I won't deny it. But when it comes down to anything to folks, there's no such thing as too many boats. Okay, and uh, who are we talking with now? Tina Martin. Okay, and where are you coming from today? Portage, Wisconsin. Portage, Wisconsin, all right. Well, it's my understanding that uh, maybe in the 1980s, sometime around in there, you had the privilege of meeting Dorothy Moulter, who was uh, commonly called the root beer lady, lived on Knife Lake for many years in the Boundary Waters. Um, what was that experience like, meeting Dorothy? Oh, it was really interesting. It was neat to find somebody that out in the middle of nowhere made root beer. And um, during our time that we had been in the Boundary Waters, um, we got independent and we decided to stay away from other people. And we had a bear come to our campsite and it had a cub with it. So we had to get out the pots and pans and start banging the pots and pans together. We were on um, a trip with the church. So we're sitting there and laying in the tent going, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, there's a bear outside of our tent. And he's like, girls, knock it off. Lay down. Go back to sleep. And sure enough, there actually And we're, we're crying. Yeah. And we're like, Pastor Dave, we're not kidding. There really is a bear outside of our tent. Wow. And how old were you at this point? Uh, 14, 15. Four, yeah, 14. And uh, was that on Knife Lake by Dorothy's Island there? Yes. Um, we had gone down and we stopped there. Um, it was part of the route that we were taking. And so, yeah, she was an older woman, and we just thought it was great that you got root beer out in your canoe. <laughs> and then you had a bear come that same night. Oh, yeah. Sounds like quite a day in the Boundary Waters. Yes. <laughs> All right, hey, well, thanks for stopping by sharing your story. Thank you. My name is Greg Rader. Okay, where are you coming from? Uh, Cuba, Missouri. Missouri, okay. Yep, cool. down by the Niangua River and uh, Missouri River and Mississippi River. So yeah, that sounds like a beautiful part of the country. Big water down there. Not not as cool as the Boundary Waters, but uh, moving water, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm talking to people about the Boundary Waters, of course. Here on of the course. Pod, on the podcast and. Uh, I'm intrigued. You were telling me a story about this suit. This, yes. This Boundary uh, Water suit. What's, yeah, so what's about 25 years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to take a scouting group through the Boundary Waters, and uh, we were really trying to pound down the leave no trace mentality. And so every night, and well, every meal that we had, uh, we had our scouts do what we called Boundary Water soup. And so after they got done cooking, they would actually take some water and put it back in their cooking dish for whatever remnants were left over, reboil the water, and they'd stir it up real good, make sure there weren't any chunks of food left on the pan, and we'd make them all slug that down as their evening tea. And uh, so we called it Boundary Water Soup, and we never had to wash dishes, and we didn't have to dump anything in the woods for the critters to get uh, addicted to. So and so it was really cool. So you have like a patent on this soup? No, no, not at all. Anybody can use it free. I'll I'll give you the patent. On it, so. All right, hey man. So, what do you think of Canucopia here? Yeah, uh, this is my first time ever. I feel like I'm in Mecca. I have not slept for three days because I've been so excited to get here. <laughs> yeah, right on. No, good. <laughs> well, have some fun. Thanks for your All time. Right, thank you. All right. Well, we're still here hanging out at Canucopia. Tell us your name and where you're from. My name is uh, Paul Gabriel, and I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I've been going up to canoe country uh, most of my 60 years, and in the late 70s and early 80s. A buddy and I would go up right after finals and before we start our summer jobs. So in May of 1980, we were up like 
soon after ice out, mid, mid-May. and um, Up the Gunflint Trail? Up or? the Gunflint Trail. We went in at Seagull, and we went across the Big Lake, Big Sag. And we were going to do uh, go down the Falls Chain into Quetico to Conipi. And it was just beautiful weather. It was warm and still. But it was like eerily silver. It was like silver. It, silver. it was like everything was silver. The, it was like this matte landscape. It was the strangest thing. And we kept looking at each other like, what's going on? Because it didn't seem cloudy, but it did. And it didn't seem like smoke. So the other thing then is like at the end of the day, we were thoroughly sunburned, even though we didn't think we were in the sun all day. So the next day we get up and it's still silver. We're going on down the false chain and we run into this other party. And we said, like, what is going on with the weather? And they're like, you haven't heard? We're like, what? And they're like, you haven't heard? Mount St. Helens is gone. We're like, what? They're like, Mount St. Helens, it's gone. We're like, gone what? They're like, like a thousand feet, like glaciers, like trees, like lakes, like the mountain blew up blew up is gone and we're like what and they're like yeah and we're like what and they're like yeah and and after like seven of those we all just stopped talking and everyone just looked up at the silver sky and it was ash it it was it was the high level it wasn't falling at all in ash and so so that's an incredible what a what a story i know that's like a life so <laughs> definitely, and so uh, you've been coming. It sounds like for a long time. You love long, the Boundary Waters Gunflint Trail. Time, uh, what yeah. about it? What what well, brings you back and stuff? You know, it it means so many different things to different people. But for me, it's about the solitude. But it's also just about a place we protect that should remain like it's been since the glaciers left, right? And I've thought about this a lot. Like a blowdown or a fire or a volcano changes it. And sometimes I don't even like those changes, like a blowdown or a fire, but it's all part of the cycle. It's all part of nature. What we got to protect against, though, is human-based change that changes it in a way that it won't be there generations later for, for our grandkids. So it's like the most special place in the world for me. There'll probably be some more ashes up there someday when my wife or my kids spirit mine in uh, surreptitiously. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a singular place on this planet, beautiful place on this planet. Yeah, obviously uh, means a lot to you. Certainly, a, a lot of people here at Canoe Copia probably would would feel the same way. And uh, thank you so much. That's a, it's an amazing story about Mount St. Helens. Oh, that's uh, great, I Joe. Mean, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, May of eighty, May of nineteen eighty. All right, thanks for talking with us. I'll Take care, man. You. Yep. You can find them almost anywhere. Well, dull and gray, big and bright and shiny. But the real question is, why are they? Okay, well, we're here at Canoe Copia. It's actually now day three, the last day. Been a, a great event for, oh, certainly the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. And now we're in a little teardrop trailer. This is a, a beautiful setup that we're in here. And we're talking with Aubrey Helmuth Miller, and she's the owner and founder of Red Bud Suds based in Canton, Ohio, and you're here at uh, Canoe Copia as well. Aubrey, thank you so much for your time this morning. It is a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so we stopped by here, Matthew and I, uh, to check out your setup. It's this teardrop trailer. You've got your soap, your product out, a few other accessories that go along with it, but tell us a little background on Red Bud Suds. What's going on here? This is Just tell us about your product to start out. 
Cool. Yeah. So we have a, our specialty is a four in one shower bar is what we call it. When you look at it, it looks like, you know, a beautiful bar of soap, um, but we've designed it so that you can use it as shampoo, conditioner, body soap, and shaving cream. That's the four in one. And the beauty of it is that there is no plastic packaging. Um, it conditions your hair nicely. You can use it whether you're just, you know, simplifying your shower at home um, or out in the back country because it's fully biodegradable. Okay, so this is a, a podcast all about the Boundary Waters, and there's a certain rules, or at least at the very least, suggestions on what you should be using in lakes, like pristine lakes, like the Boundary Waters. Um, would this work? Would this qualify some of your soap? Would you be feel comfortable using this in the Boundary Waters? I absolutely would, and I would absolutely say you should definitely follow the Leave No Trace principles, which are to wash I think it's 200 feet away from the water. Um, so we have a couple of tools that make that easier as well. Um, like I said, the soap is fully biodegradable, but it needs the soil to be able to actually do its job biodegrading. Um, so we have this little simple shower that's like a little screw on top thing that you can put on a water bottle to make carrying water into the middle of the woods easy to get your shower. Um, and then we also have this thing called a shufa. It's a little loofah bag. So you just pop your soap in it. You use your soap right in the bag. So when you're out taking your wilderness, wilderness shower or washing your hands in the woods, um, you can just hang the little bag up. Um, keeps your bar clean, um, helps it last a long time and dry real quick. And just all those little things that, you know, make it easy when you have them. And they're pretty simple. Yeah, it sounds absolutely perfect for a Boundary Waters trip, actually. And so, <laughs> yeah, 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 cool. And so when Matthew and I were walking around here at Canucopia, uh, checking out just different products and gear and so forth, uh, we, you know, stopped at your booth in particular uh, because something caught our eyes, gun flint peppermint. So, uh, you know, we live in Grand Marais, and uh, that, of course, Gunflint Trail, anything Gunflint caught our eye. And in, in Grand Marais and North Shore, that's a very common term used for a lot of different things, Gunflint, for brand and product and so forth. But, you know, we n- didn't know you. We didn't recognize you as being someone from the North Shore area, so we stopped and chatted. And, it, you know, you're from Ohio, like I said, Canton, Ohio. So Gunflint, is that like our Gunflint, or what's the connection with that? Yeah, that's definitely the Boundary Waters Gunflint. Um, so I um, have some deep connections to the Boundary Waters. Um, I took my first trip up there when I was in high school and then just knew I needed to go back. So went um, and actually guided for um, off and on about 10 years. Um, it just I, I just couldn't stay away. And um, life has led me to Ohio and I've been following closely with, um, you know, the mines that are that are being proposed and all of that. So just really felt um, a sense of wanting to do something to help. So this winter or last year, we approached the um, Save the Boundary Waters campaign folks and said, hey, can we make a special bar for the Boundary Waters and um, use it as a um, promotion about the issue as well as a um, fundraising tool. And so uh, with the Gunflint Peppermint Special Limited Edition Bar, we donate 50% of each sale to the Save the Boundary Waters campaign. Um, And we were able last year when we launched on uh, Giving Tuesday all the way up through the end of the year to raise almost $2,500 for the campaign, which was awesome. We were very excited about that. And we still have some left, so we're going to keep on selling those until they're out. Wow. Okay. So definitely a yeah, connection it's there. Definitely. Here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yep. that's awesome. And what about uh, your? Said you started paddling early in the Boundary Waters. Are you from Minnesota, or what? What's your life story? Yeah, I'm from Virginia, and I was lucky enough to have um, a uh, a 
sort of special project trip class whatever um, through my high school that was offered as a Boundary Waters trip and so when I was a sophomore I signed up for it because it looked awesome um, we drove you know 24 hours crowded in a 15 passenger van um, and that was my that was my my first exposure to not only the Boundary Waters but to like overnight backpacking and all of that um, and I just completely fell in love so yeah Wow. And then um, what about it? Like, what do you like about the Boundary Waters, either from those first trips or even now here in 2019? What about that area in particular do you like? What don't I like about the Boundary Waters? Um, it just, I mean, for me, I think partly maybe because I started going up in some pretty formative years. Um, like I said, I took that trip in high school. Um, there was just something so um, magical about the the space, the water, um, seeing, I mean, I remember the first time I heard a loon just being like, what is that? Like, it just felt like the call of the universe or something. Um, I remember our first campsite was up at, uh, Basswood Falls. So just hearing that like water, like that rushing. Um, I remember we got caught in a storm and, uh, we, you know, you're cramped underneath a tent eating your, like, dessert in the dark, you know, with, like, the rain just pouring down and you feel so small but yet so alive at the same time. Um, I think there's just, there's so many, you know, memories I have of those very vivid experiences of, like, the sensation of, like, smelling the red pine and hearing the loons and, um, you know, just that feeling of, like, paddling where you're doing this repetitive motion just over and over and over and over and over and over again, knowing that you're getting somewhere by the power of your own like arms like that's just so crazy to me still um i just think it's so beautiful it's there's there's i think in the boundary waters because it's so um i don't know what the right word is pristine i guess you just have the ability to take in the world not impacted by humans um in a very intimate way and it's just it's it's very refreshing and and connecting so yeah. wow well said and so, <laughs> yeah. And are you then you had come back, you mentioned that you, you know, really fell in love with the area after Virginia, these first trips. And then did you make it a point to, you know, how do I get back there? Or where did that enter into, you know, some time that you actually spent accumulating over the years? Yeah, I remember when we drove out of the driveway of the camp that we, um, the base camp after that first trip, I remember just in the back of my mind, sort of flippantly thinking, I'm going to be back. Um, and it just so happened, um, the college that I attended, they had a camping inquiry program where you could, for the summer, get a little bit of a scholarship stipend, whatever, for working at a camp. And so I saw that. It was like $1,000, which doesn't go much towards tuition, but it was something. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. So I'll, I'll do this guiding thing for a, for a year, you know. And the, the camp that I worked at was, was very small, so um, they did, you know, all of the training and everything for us. We didn't have to have tons and tons of experience, which in the retrospect I'm sometimes like, wow, I can't believe that that's actually what happened. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I did the training program and guided that first summer. Um, there were some staffing issues, so I ended up guiding about nine trips. Um, most of them were co-guiding. Co I was the assistant guide on the trip, and um, just spending that many weeks out in the Boundary Waters, again, um, with so many families and helping n people who, again, hadn't ever experienced the Boundary Waters see it for the first time. Um, I remember my first trip was um, with an intergenerational family. There was a four-year-old and then a 70-year-old on it. Um, and just seeing that like whole breadth of 
like span of life lifespan you know um it was just really impactful so I did it for one summer and then I couldn't help myself I was like I don't care if this doesn't pay that much I'm coming back so I just I just kept doing that stayed connected um with the camp and um yeah here we are did that for many years Yeah, yeah yeah Okay. Well, let's talk then. Uh, when did Red Bud Suds and this idea of starting your own business evolve? Was that in in that same time frame, or when did this all start to come to fruition? Yeah, that was actually kind of um, an accident, sort of, but also directly connected. So um, after it became clear that I needed to have some other kind of work other than just guiding, um, my my husband and I actually took a couple of years. Um, we we directed the camp for a year, and then um, and then kind of took a road trip. And on that trip, we were trying to figure out, okay, so what is our next step? And it, that's what took us to Ohio, a job opportunity for my husband. So I'm still there, scratching my head, thinking, okay, I've had all these wonderful experiences, feeling connected in the Boundary Waters. It's changed me, um, but I really want to share this in some way, like this deep love that I have for all things wild. Um, how can I incorporate that into my everyday life, um, you know, in the hustle and bustle of modern culture, whatever. It's crazy. Um, and it's hard. Like that's always the trick. It's like, I always felt like I had to escape in order to experience this deep connection. So I was just asking this question, like, how can I, um, basically be an, an advocate for, um, people getting out, um, and feeling that sense of connection in modern day culture. And somehow just asking a lot of questions led me to starting a soap company. I figured, um, you know, I, I, d- I had developed this four in one, uh, bar and I was, you know, as a, in part in response to teaching people leave no trace practices, um, and then wanting to bring those into my everyday life. So, um, I figure, you know, if I have this product now, that's something that I really love and really use every day and helps. And I use it in part because it, it helps me live in a more environmentally responsible way every day. Um, why wouldn't I want to share that? So basically the desire to um, simplify my own routines um, and share that with people has become my sort of soapbox, so to, so to speak. Yes, yeah, soapbox. So, well yeah. said. <laughs> and so then... Um, you know, I'm still, I guess, in my mind, wondering, like, why soap? Like, um, I get that it's, you You know, you're into your product and it's there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it. But at the beginning of being an entrepreneur and thinking of what, you know, what can I do to either stay connected or be connected to the Boundary Waters? Like, why soap? Where did that, you know, enter the your mind? Yeah, so it's kind of just this, um, for me, it's been this following curiosity. So, um you know, it is a simple bar of soap. It doesn't necessarily seem like it would be connected, but scent is one of the things that that is our greatest trigger of memory. And when I have now this bar of soap that I can use on a wilderness trip, or I can use um, on a, you know, really once in a lifetime kind of event, and then I can take it home and I can use it in my shower every day. Um, It's a reminder that, you know, those little things that we do, it's not that we did this wilderness trip and that's something separate from us, or we, you know, are working at this job and that's something separate than us. It's all connected um, and and it all matters. So I'm also curious about, did you need to take a class on making soap? Did you do some, 
online research, get a book. You know, where did that, was it a family, you know, somebody taught you in your family? Where did that come from? Yeah. So um, while I was trying to figure out what my next job was going to be, I was just making soap because I thought it would be fun. Um, I kind of dived in head first and checked out every book on soap making in the entire Cleveland Public Library system. Um, and for about a month, just like read like recipe formulation and, um, you know, how people make this old-fashioned cold-processed soap. I was just so fascinated by it. Um, I made my first batch on January 1st, 2014, and you have to, you make it, and then you have to wait a month before you can actually use it. It's the curing process, and I was just, I was so excited to see if this would work or not, really thinking that it probably wouldn't, but it did, Mm -hmm. and then by the time that next month came around, I had all these different scents I wanted to test out, you know, and um, so it just kind of evolved from there. Yeah. Okay, wow. And then did you start out um, online or, or sell it through a, a local co-op or something? Uh, how did you, you know, get the word out there in 2014 and when you were first starting out? Yeah. So I opened up an Etsy shop online um, that didn't really go that well. I also uh, tried to get into my local farmer's market and they didn't let me because they were full. They had other soap makers. And so I talked with the, <laughs> the restaurant owner at the restaurant where I was waitressing and he was like well why don't you just set out a little table in front of our restaurant and I was like okay <laughs> so my first little shop was just like on the sidewalk with a little table a little suitcase full of soap <laughs> um, and yeah people just kept buying it so yeah and, and now um, is there still an online presence or where would somebody you know hearing this in another state or Minnesota or wherever they might be listening uh, you know Texas for example we know at Canucopia we found some people are listening to our podcast uh, where might they find it now uh, red bud suds yeah so now we've graduated to our own website we no longer sell on etsy so we um, have our site at redbudsuds.com um, we also do a lot of outdoor festivals that kind of thing around the country um, and we are slowly growing our uh, partnerships with retail stores so um, we have a list on our website of all the shops that carry our soap so you can find it at stores too okay and are you still you know involved with every step of the process and uh, or has it grown beyond that where are you at as far as production yeah i am excited to say that i have hired someone who helps me actually make the soap um so my teammate her name is liz is the one making every single bar um cooking them up you know slicing them um shipping them out um i have another teammate who helps me with some office stuff so she um helps with you know customer service and that sort of thing um and then i can continue to go out and sell and come up with creative new partnerships and um ways to just get the word out Okay. Exciting. Well, this has been a, a pleasure to meet you here at Canoe Copia. And has the event uh, gone well for you? You've had had a good time here? We have had an awesome time. Met tons of really cool people like yourselves. <laughs> um, and actually, yesterday we had our best day ever. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's great to hear. And this teardrop trailer that we're sitting in, is this this is yours that you take from show to show? And, and where did that uh, come into the business equation? Yeah, this is um, ours. Um, We got it from New Camp Campers. Um, It's actually a teardrop camper company um, that is, uh, their manufacturing is about 45 minutes from my house in Ohio that's made by a bunch of Amish guys. It's an amazing company, amazing trailer. Um, We approached them because we were like, it would be so much fun to be able to 
you know, drive around one of your adorable teardrop campers as our little teardrop shop. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Good partnership there. Yeah. Okay. Well, since we're in this uh, teardrop trailer, you got your setup in here. It smells like soap. It's delightful in here. And you also uh, have a banjo there on your lap. (laughs) And so, um, Aubrey, if you'd be so kind to uh, take us out with an instrumental, that'd be great. And we've been talking with Aubrey Helmuth Miller. Uh, She's the owner, founder of Red Bud suds in canton ohio a direct connection a lot of connections uh aubrey personally and with her product to the boundary waters so we really appreciate uh chatting with you it's been a pleasure likewise thank you so much Best of Canucopia episode of the Boundary Waters podcast. It must be said that the entire reason we are here is because our sponsors made sure that we were able to make the trip here. Uh, big thanks to Camp Chow. A lot of Camp Chow was consumed at Canucopia this weekend. Uh, big thanks to, thanks to Ely Outfitters for making sure we got here. Tuscarora Lodge and North Star Canoes. Uh, Not only are they our sponsors, but they are essential members of our paddling community, and we are proud to represent them and to be represented by them at the Expo. Yeah, Matthew, this has been an experience that I'll never forget, and uh, I look forward to you know, possibly coming back in the future. Not possibly, <laughs> not possibly, Joe. We we are destined for Canucopia 2020. Yeah, this this has been so much fun. We met so many people. Everybody who's listening to this that we met, greetings. It was a pleasure to meet you all. Uh, be in contact with us through the through the podcast, through our email, Facebook. However, you can find us. Stop into WTIP. It was so great to meet all of you. If you chatted with us at all at Canucopia, please send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to keep those conversations going. Absolutely. And uh, everybody else who's just discovering the podcast or has been with us since day one, we're going to keep the ride uh, rolling right here into spring. April's around the corner. Uh, Ice will be melting, Matthew. I know it doesn't seem like it yet, but we'll be uh, on the water before we know it. And in an event like Canucopia here is exactly uh, something to get us excited for the upcoming paddling season. I love this community. Well, until next year, Matthew, it's time to hit the road. I'll see you back in Grand Marais. <laughs> <laughs> on the road again. Just can't wait to get back on the road again. I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So 
I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light